This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur news laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. Welcome to another episode of Hafta and we're actually in our 291st episode. So we are 9 short of our 300 episodes. Fantastic. We'll do something special then. Are all of us going on leave like Manisha wants to? Okay. No one is going on leave. Well, no one. I didn't get it. So you have your answer. So you have your answer exactly. See, samajdar ke liye ishara hi kafi hai. So um, before I introduce my guests on the panel today, just a couple of announcements. We have the hafta is free. It's not behind the paywall for the next three or four weeks. So do share it with others who you think would be interested in subscribing to News Laundry. We have a full team behind our podcast. There's Snigdha, Aditya, Lippi, Harshula, Anil. the panelists so a lot of pre production production goes into it so to support that do pay to keep news free and subscribe to news laundry and we have a new nl sena project up which i shall tell you about further into the hafta and our independence month offer of subscribers getting the tiranga soap set sabki dhulai because that is our motto hindu muslim sikh isai sabki dhulai sabki dhulai that offer is on till the end of this month however if you're already a subscriber This offer is open to you at any time. If you want that fantastic herbal soap set, you can just mail us, and we'll give it to you with an extension of your subscription. So subscribers can get that any time. On the panel today, we have in office Raman Kripal. Hi, sir. Hi. Mehraj Lone. Hello. Manisha Pandey. Hi. Uh, joining me on the phone line from Patna is Anand Vardhan, who's been on the move for past few weeks. Hopefully, he'll be able to give us some update on the Bihar flood situation, on which we are very. low on information so welcome anand hello and we have banjot kaur who's joining us banjot is based out of delhi she has been a journalist for little over 10 years she's been reporting on health for the last 8 years and before joining down to earth magazine she has worked at the times of india and patna for more than 5 years she started her career in 2012 with ani and she's an imc grad uh, welcome banjot hi hi everyone and you have uh, pretty much i'm seeing where all you've traveled to as part of your reporting it's pretty much most of india so um before we get into banjot is going to tell you know we're going to talk about covid because the last you know 3 or 4 weeks we've hardly discussed covid which is still a pandemic staring us in the face but before we do that manisha can we have the headlines of what all made the news this week Yes, um, a serological survey in Delhi showed that those between the ages of five and seventeen were most exposed to the novel coronavirus in Delhi, at least. COVID nineteen positivity rate is inching up again in Delhi. It stands at seven point four. And yesterday, I think we recorded India recorded seventy seventy thousand cases. No, today, today seventy four thousand seventy five or seventy five thousand seven hundred some cases. That's today, about, yeah, and that's in a day. Yes, in a day. And today wow. is Thursday. It is. 10:30 in the morning, and it is the 27th of August. While so we record this, so that's the maximum that number is from yesterday. I mean, it was updated today, but it's from yesterday. yesterday. Uh, it, in the morning, I mean, yes, and they updated uh, it today. Updated. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. That's the highest we've recorded in a day, right? Probably. Hmm. Oxford COVID-19 vaccine. The update on that is that Serum Institute has begun clinical trials in India. World's first confirmed coronavirus reinfections also been reported in Hong Kong. NEET and JEE exams, meanwhile, in India, are going to be held um, in September, as announced earlier. Students had protested; they wanted it postponed. That's not happening, it seems. Bihar flood situation remains grim. Eight point three million people have been affected. I've seen some reporting in BBC and Aaj Tak on this. Sonia Gandhi offered to resign as Congress interim president at a virtual CWC meeting. There was a lot of drama over the weekend over this. She offered to resign. Her resignation was obviously not accepted, and then the Congress said, "Okay, okay, we will hold elections. Sonia Ji must continue with her able leadership." 
we will have elections but we want rahul ji to please take over so that was what happened prashant bhushan meanwhile is firm on his apology the sc has given him plenty of opportunities to apologize and say why don't you do it he's saying no he doesn't want to do it a black man was shot seven times in the back by police in wisconsin and he's now paralyzed that's another crime that's made news and this has led to huge protests yeah. in the us and bloomsbury pulled out their involvement with the delhi riots book called yeah. delhi 2020 and we shall and discuss now that now garuda prakashan has taken over the responsibility of yes publishing such an important book <laughs> mm. pakistan has listed daud ibrahim's address in karachi imposed financial sanctions on the gangster and our news channels went to town as something new has happened we'll explain further in the hafta why this was again not news but it became this huge hua Hmm. Kari Moi has demanded Ayush Ministry to probe and take action into imposition of Hindi at a webinar. Eleven uh, dead and three people missing in a building collapse in Raigarh. It's monsoon, and you hear a lot about these building collapses. I think last year there was a very tragic one in Pune. Yeah, that's the tallest thirteen now. Ah, tallest thirteen. Terrible news of layoffs continue. Accenture has laid off uh, employees, and ten thousand people are said to be affected in India. NIA has filed a charge sheet against Masood Azhar, 19 others in the 2019 Pulwama attack. Nadda asserts NDA unity, reiterates Nitish Kumar will lead Bihar campaign. Chirag Paswan makes some noises about yes. same candidate, so Bihar polls. So maybe Anand will be able to tell up. us a little more about this as well. And the monsoon session of Parliament from September 14 to October 14 will begin, and there'll be to a October four, 1. To October 1, there'll be a four-hour daily sitting and no off days. And of course, the U.S. elections are upon. America and uh, there were some very entertaining speeches that if we have the time we shall discuss a little bit. But first, let's start with the COVID news. So, Banjot, uh, you know you're reporting on health. Just tell us, it seems to have vanished from the headlines because there's you know neat. There is Riya Chakravarti for some reason. But where are we on the vaccine now? Apparently, this Oxford uh, vaccine, which is gets the most kind of, I guess, credible press. the trials have started here in india what about putin's vaccine do we know anything on that and how good or bad is india so okay uh, to begin with vaccines yes the ox the vaccines of oxford university trials for them have begun in india also uh, but you know even even if we get positive results out of phase 2 and phase 3 trials which are happening in india it's not that it's going to prove to be a silver bullet there is a long chain so once the, we have the trial results in then we we hear that uh, the manufacturing has also begun but even if we have vaccine in the market there is there is a whole chain of you know storing them and then making them you know go down to the level of grassroots and then we will have to train our healthcare workers to administer them so it's 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 a long shot that we are looking at there is also a debate now that now we have so many at least 31 vaccine candidates around the world which are in 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 second and third phase of uh, in in various phases of human trials and seven vaccine candidates in second and third phase of human trials but are are our hopes misplaced with these vaccines the short answer is possibly yes because it's not going to be easy to give vaccine to each and every one and we are dealing with a virus in viral infection so if i and you get it but not the person living next to us we are still very much prone to the infection 
so we we really should not have much hopes from the vaccines we still will have to believe in you know social distancing wearing mask washing hands etc etc so when you say that if you and i get it but our neighbor doesn't have the vaccine but you and i are safe the neighbor isn't safe isn't that right but the neighbor can you know still infect people around and is vaccine going to give us 100% immunity and for lifelong no Okay. Is vaccine going to be hundred percent effective? No. So that small room of being infected will always be there. Right. So uh, that is that is bit about vaccines. You asked about Russian vaccine. Well, that's very interesting because if you heard the last WHO presser which took place this week itself, Soumya Soumyanathan, the chief scientist there, said that even they were not privy to the data of the trials, phase one and phase two trials of the Russian vaccine candidate. and right. the third phase is even not started so there is lot of you know gray area in the russian vaccine in fact that is not there even on the who list of candidates as of now as we speak so we have to be very very cautious about it well there is lot of gray area in anything russian not just the vaccine but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but jyot you know yeah. this the oxford vaccine i know uh, i had read in the papers maybe a month or longer than more than a month ago that uh, phase 2 and 3 had already started in the uk so yeah, exactly. what you're saying is the phase 2 and 3 started there a month ago in india they've just started right now like yesterday yeah yeah yes, so yes, so what yes, are the results of the phase 2 and 3 over there is it showing some promise is it showing positive results so the, the data is not out oh, yet the data is yet not out but whatever you know a bit of news you get to read so far so good but until unless we have you know really good data to read and understand and you know the the, the experts and immunologists make sense for us it's really difficult to say at this moment now you know last weekend i interviewed barkha at korum because haryana has allowed clubs and restaurants and all to open and there was quite a decent turnout and they've installed that uv thing in the air conditioning duct mm-hmm. yeah which kills the you know virus So there's several people I spoke with, including the you know management of the that club. Barkha was saying, other people also saying that you know now that different states, different cities, it appears anything from twenty to forty percent are already infected. We have reached herd immunity numbers now. I'm not a medical expert or a health reporter, but yet people wanted to get out and go about things as normal. And to be honest, you know, from the first two weeks when I was a lot more careful, I I would not have gone into an area where there were forty people. Although it's a very large area, but still, I probably wouldn't have gone. You know, now I go. I'm I'm open to going and getting back to as close as as normal and taking precautions with precautions, of course. So, I mean, where where is the science on that? Because I see a lot of world leaders saying that as well in different parts of the world, and not just Trump, but I I see some European leaders saying that you know we can get back to normal. We have to have some attempts there. You know, I saw interviews from Greece. I saw interviews from Spain. Where is the world on this? Where is the science on this, Manjot? See, you used the term herd immunity. Now that I believe is one of the most, uh, you know, uh, most oft-used term these days. Hmm. But at the same time, it's 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 one term on which the understanding has not been very clear. Hmm. Uh, there is a science part of which on which the experts are still debating. But among the masses, it seems that we have settled with this debate, which shouldn't be the case. Now you you talked about you know twenty to forty percent. I I hope you were referring to zero prevalence or what yes. is also known as zero positivity. Right? Correct. Let me tell you. Let me tell you in brief about this zero prevalence and zero positivity. They are one and the same. So when a zero survey takes place, 
what do they look for they look for the antibodies the antibodies which which come you know which which come in which develop in a person once he or she has been infected now if uh, 20 to 40% population has shown seroprevalence does it mean that this much of population is totally safe no it does not mean so you know in, in black and white the reason i tell you when you when these sero surveys look for antibodies they just look for what is known as igg antibodies and out of these antibodies there are something which are known as neutralizing antibodies now to simplify this for you neutralizing antibodies are the ones which actually fight off you know against the virus none of the sero surveys conducted in india so far has told us that in the sampled population, what was the proportion of neutralizing antibodies? We have absolutely no data on that at the moment. So no matter uh, what percentage of sampled population is found to be showing seropositivity or seroprevalence, we really can't say that this proportion of the population is protected and it will not get infected once again. We really can't say that till we know what is the proportion of neutralizing antibodies. So that takes us to the debate of herd immunity. If we could have said that, look, this much of population has immunity and has antibodies, then we would have said that, yes, herd immunity is in and you know, we can move out without having much of the baggage on our, you know, at the back of our minds. But we really do not know whether we have reached that stage or not, at least in India. Outside India too, as you spoke of, you know, couple, you spoke about a couple of nations, we really do not know whether, first of all, there's a debate, what is that proportion of seroprevalence which, which leads to herd immunity? So you have experts saying that a 20% or 30% seropositivity can bring in herd immunity. And then you have another section of experts saying a 50 to 60%. So there is no standard definition on it. The, the common refrain is we are learning about this virus as the time goes by. We really do not have a final verdict on anything. So it's, it's difficult to say it's, it's a yes or no. We, we, we just have to find out the middle part. It's like, you know, damn we do and damn we not. Sure. Now, I, now I think today is the 21st day that India has consecutively recorded the most cases per day. Daily cases. Yeah. Uh, today is the 21st. So uh, I just want to bring in Anand. Anand, you remember, you know, we had done uh, on the Hafta when this had just started and there was that fear that all these trains full of migrant labor going back to Bihar and Bihar will be the next like explosion. Has that happened? Was that like an unfounded fear? Uh, because I know they were testing people at the railway station and almost 20% positives were coming out. Has that led to any significant healthcare alarm in Bihar or not really? It's like as the rest of India. No, with uh, a sluggish start later the infection, and there was a phase where infection grew very ominously, but uh, with I think uh, the latest figures suggest 82% recovery rate, which is uh, more than 6% what is the national average. The mortality rate is less than 0%. Around 626 people have died of this disease. And even the positive infection rate is well below 3 So if we go by numbers, the situation is uh, not that alarming. But I would say that there was a mid-phase, say three or f four weeks ago, where when the 
mood had certainly changed from that of uh, uh, a bit of indifference to a sort of alarm but that has eased out in public psyche in last two three weeks again it is, there is a sort of indifference to it as far as migrant the scare about migrant earlier the figures were that infant government data suggested that there was a point when the new positive cases had a very high number of people returning back home from different cities in india and it was at one point as high as 74% of new positive cases were of migrants now since that phase has ended new data is not available that uh, at least i don't see it that uh, uh, in the recent spike at say 2 3 weeks ago what was the contribution of uh, this section right and when it comes to the cases the rate at which they're going up i'll just give you right now uh, the total number of the last numbers that we have covid cases as per wednesday that is the end of yesterday a uh, total number of cases in india were 32 lakh 34000 that's 3.2 million and total deaths were 59449 now at the rate that we are going banjot is it possible that india will be number 1 in the amount of cases we have or is america too way ahead to catch up on See, that uh, america and india are both are very unpredictable in terms of uh, in the case load that we are seeing so america has had a very long peak i would say in fact so it's it's a bit difficult to to say something like this whether india would be having more case load per day than america in coming weeks and days but yes as you said in the beginning of your program india has been contributing to the highest number of new cases every day for quite some time now so if that happens what what you asked me just now i wouldn't be surprised it depends on the on the time on the on the length of the peak if our peak is also as long as america's is we may have numbers worse than america so so it's it's still a bit early to say it, it depends on the peak that we have so uh, there's there's been a lot of discussion about whether india is undercounting the numbers of deaths and covid cases or not what is your sense of that and if it there's undercounting how much of it is there do you have any sense of that i mean let's go by the data if you look at the positivity rate if in any state or in any country the positivity rate is more than 10% then that is an indicator that we are missing out on the cases we are under tests now if you look at india's data there are at least seven or eight union territories or states which have more than 10% positivity rate in fact in maharashtra i'm just seeing it is close to 20% at the moment and in you know in puducherry it's more than 30% now places like puducherry and goa do not fit headlines in at least in terms of covid so if we have more than 10% positivity rate it is for sure that we are missing out on cases if we do not conduct tests properly we will keep doing so now missing out on cases is one part of the story they would not themselves be just ill but they will also be spreading that infection so that is something that we really need to be worried about the other thing is about delhi as you were talking about navinanda was talking about few minutes ago the positivity rate is going up despite the fact 
that we are having more antigen tests in Delhi than compared to, than than RT-PCR. In fact, if you look at yesterday's Delhi bulletin, the proportion of antigen tests as compared to all other tests, including RT-PCR, the, the antigen tests were about 70%. And the, the problem with the antigen test is their sensitivity is much lower than RT-PCR and other standard tests. So it is a given that we are missing out on cases. Now, so far as deaths are concerned, there is quite a possibility that we are doing so. A couple of pieces written for Wire by Priyanka Pulla, if you read those two very detailed pieces, it gives a clear sort of indication that we are doing so because of the criteria that we have fixed for saying that this is a COVID death and this is not a COVID. So we are missing out on cases and we are missing out on deaths also. So, uh, just a couple of uh, questions uh, before we move on. Uh, one is this, I mean, should we be prepared for a permanency of a life change of how we conduct ourselves, the way we, you know, the crowded areas, going to restaurants, touching each other in the long term? Because my understanding was that once we have a vaccine, or we have some sort of a, not just a vaccine. In fact, I, uh, I saw the interview on the BBC of one of the scientists of the Oxford lab. He says we may not have a vaccine for sure. But I can tell you for sure that we will have a treatment that is specific for COVID. And that will take the mortality down to below 1%, well below 1%. So we may not be able to prevent it, but we'll be able to you know, cure it like we can cure many other viruses and illnesses. So will there be a back to normal world? Or are you saying with what, you, what I understand of your view on the vaccine, there is an element that this may be the way things are permanently in life? I will bet... As you know, you spoke about the scientists, I will really bet more on therapeutics or the treatment part rather than the vaccine part. Mm. That is one. Because, you know, no vaccine guarantees you 100% efficacy. No vaccine so far has done in this world. So there will always be an element of skepticism. Now, you ask me, is it going to be a 100% back to normal world? Absolutely not. At least, at least for a couple of years. We will have to, you know, wear uh, masks, we will have to keep washing hands, we will have to ensure physical distance. Now, in a country like India, where, you know, at the moment, for example, in UTC buses, you cannot have more than 20 people. But for how long are you going to sustain it? That is one. So these things, to do these things, we are going to, be, we are going to be, you know, doing some, some huge changes in our daily lifestyles. Uh, governments will have to do it, we will have to do it, but we are definitely not looking at back to normal world in a couple of years for sure. I see. Anyone has any count to you? Because I'm getting back to normal. I've started playing football, no, I'm going out, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm done with this shit, man. I can't <laughs> see, handle it. See, 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 Aminandar, I, I certainly do not mean to say that you don't go back or we don't go back to our life. <laughs> we <will> have, <laughs> but we will have to do it in a different manner. Probably that's, that's the bit, hmm. you know, better way of putting it. Yeah, a bit of precautions mm. and do not go to the crowded places. Yeah, masks, sanitize. Masks, no, I think yeah. about, the, about what you were saying that there might not be a vaccine, but there's a treatment. I think that's wor that's a worse outcome for India mm. because in this country, the bulk of the healthcare is privatized. Mm. Even now, people don't go to hospitals because they can't afford it. Mm. And if it's going to be a treatment for people to go to hospitals and take that treatment is when yeah. it's a very difficult thing. Right. But it's something that could happen sooner. Right. Then a vaccine. Anand, you have, uh, you during this time, traveled by train a couple of times. What was the experience like? I mean, personally for you, did you feel any more paranoid or scared? Or were you like, 
just bettering in your berth with not moving anywhere and otherwise at the railway stations at the inside the railways did you see any difference and did you feel any more concerned than you would normally feel i was not concerned about a lot of things but probably i am not the right person to answer that because even in normal times i see myself and others see me as very careless so i traveled by train to mumbai came back then again traveled and came back uh, so i think uh, the trains are bit uh, less crowded and mm. that's a respite i liked that and uh, i think it uh, made things more comfortable uh, ironically it made things more comfortable that there was less crowd and other people's reaction was also more restrained they didn't interfere with uh, what you were doing and what you were, and there was less talk and uh, i would see it differently my personal experience was very good i see but uh, the the pandemic is a boon for for anand so actually actually no, the same for, for introverts even air travel like i went home and came back right. so the airport is like barely this hardly especially in delhi airport which mm. is huge like you barely see any people they give you those face shields those plastic face right. shields they give you masks they give you sanitizers mm. and people who are sitting in the middle seats they get those ppe kits mm. like those sure. regular ones but yeah mm. and because airplanes aren't that full so when i was coming back i think in the two rows there were two of us in two rows like right. so you could have seats so yeah. late sakte the yeah easily uh, so that way so now uh, this comes get me to related covid related you know issue which is the whole um, this examination the neat yeah now uh, banjot from a you know you've been covering health i mean just to give a perspective to our listeners the whole toss up is that the students are saying and there are various reasons from some students saying we are high risk we can't travel yeah. at a time like this and take an exam some saying that we are not high risk but we live with our parents who are high risk some are in quarantine centers exactly some students are in quarantine centers they said how can we take the exam and this net this exam if i understand correctly anand or no anand how many students take this exam for how many seats according to reports 25 million 25 million have enrolled but not all of them take i mean say some skip also but even by conservative estimate around 18 to 19 million people would uh, yeah. students would take that exam for neat for neat the number of applicants is 15 uh, lakh and for je it's about 9 lakh yes uh, sorry i i got it wrong not million i meant 25 lakhs what it uh, so that's mm, 2.5 million yeah we'll just clarify this yeah yes, go ahead yes. yeah and for how many seats is this and this this includes uh, seats in what all disciplines means in all there is a, i think neat is now a common entrance for all medical colleges okay uh, aims perhaps it still has a different entrance exam but all other medical colleges are with neat the score counts for uh, entrance to all medical colleges and uh, j is for iits but other engineering colleges can also consider that score for entrance that is what i think that it just like cat scores uh, can be considered by uh, other management institutes for admission jee scores can be considered by other engineering colleges for admission right so before i come to banjot about what health professionals concerns would be from a because you teach a lot of young kids who either are taking their civil services and stuff like that anand what mm. what is this 
the concern of the government is that if they don't take the exam, this year will be a zero year. That means from next year, the amount of numbers, uh, everything becomes too big. I mean, they cannot yes. they cannot cancel one year. And that, mm. to me, seems like a reasonably rational concern. But is there any other concern? or is, Will yeah, this concern uh, mean that there will be too many students, students for one? But students want postponement. But what the government is saying that postponement will mean this year has gone. No, but if they postpone all exams, like even like class 12 exams and others, mm. that means those students still have, I, I don't know. No, but there will be this out. one year that has not will do nothing this one year. Maybe the guys who go. It'll be school. like a gap year for, yeah, for all so students. So that means next year it'll be double. So Anand, what is the concern from that angle? And then uh, maybe Banjot can come from the public health angle. What is what is the contradiction, the conflict in the two concerns? My sense is that the most important stakeholder in this uh, would be students, and the silent majority of students want to take it. Uh, take the test, uh, at least the more serious ones, because once you prepare for something, you have a momentum going on. And if there is a delay, you lose that momentum. You may be distracted uh, in doing other things. And uh, once you lose momentum, so the silent majority, which may not be very vocal on social media, is for going for the exam also the concern that concern is uh, because next year uh, people are saying that postpone but not uh, have an idea postpone to what date so uh, because postponement to us is to an uncertainty an, an uncertain time period and that could be one year two year because there is no guarantee of things uh, uh, being the ideal condition for conducting an exam. Also, the concern that you voiced that if it is conducted, say, next year, for same number of seats, how two different batches would compete for same number of seats. So, matlab, 25 lakh se 50 so, lakh ho jayega, matlab. Now, the most prestigious exam in the country, say, civil services exam, would be conducted. The preliminary examination of civil services and um, the premier exam conducting agency in the country, UPSC, is conducting exam in October. Even in that, uh, about uh, 7 to 8 lakh uh, students appear. So it's not that other exams are not being conducted. Even in the interviews for civil services, which were a very less number of students, only select few who get through the mains, but it was conducted two months back, the results were out. So, uh, I think things are going on. Okay, two, two questions, Anand. One of the uh, suggestions that I saw, I think there was a debate on this on NDTV. So, they had some students. So, some students said the solution is we conduct it phase-wise, the yeah, exam. Yeah, that's exactly what I was It's not, about. it doesn't happen in one shot. It happens yeah. in phases like elections happen. Uh, can that be done? What is the practicability of that? And second, that have more centers, you know. Right now, instead of having the limited, I don't know how many centers they have but convert many of the other colleges, schools, just prepare them and have centers so that we are really spread out when we do this. So we don't have to travel long distances. How practical are these two suggestions? Is this a good middle path? Number of centers have been, um, they have already been increased. The number of students in each room, uh, means number of students allotted to each room has been reduced for social distancing norms. Also, the main problem uh, that could be addressed is uh, about transportation because, uh, say, in a, that not be a good ex uh, example, but let us say in Delhi, since, since Metro is not operating now, 
uh, and the mass transport, uh, say public transport, uh, is still restricted in some cities or uh, the village to city connectivity is uh, not back to absolute normalcy. That could be one of the concerns, but authorities can address that because still 2.25 lakh people are not a very huge number for a state to press into service its transport services. Right. Because uh, the transport thing is a very... I mean, if that is not done and exams still go ahead, that disadvantages like the poor and the rural people like really badly. Right. Also, is the center making enough? Uh, I mean, is it going to be the state's burden to carry out these facilities or is the center going to help out with state it? State burden, I think. So then, I mean, that's what uh, the Jharkhand uh, chief minister was warning against saying that we the, All not the opposition CMs are warning yeah. against that. They are, I think they are going to move Supreme Court against this. Ah, so I said, GST part be sitting over here. GST, ah. there's just not enough funds with the uh, state, state government to pay salaries. So I think Nirmala Sitaraman is chairing mm-hmm. that meet even as we are recording mm-hmm. this. But uh, Banjot, from a public health standpoint, how, I mean, where would you weigh in on the safety of the students and the people at home vis-a-vis the administrative nightmare that is of postponing this exam? We are debating here about the exams and how students are going to take it. In US, we we are, or in fact across the globe, we are having a debate about reopening of schools, although these are two different things, Hmm. but to an extent comparable, right? Yes. So we have had more than 95 or 97,000 children in US infected due to reopening of schools. Oh, so okay. it is it is a possibility that infection may spread. But since this is going to be a one event kind of thing and not a recurring event as one has to go to schools. So you may say that this is, it is not a very valid comparison. But the fear is of that of say a super spreading event, right? children collecting at a, at a place or, you know, they are coming in. I mean, transportation issue was discussed. How would you ensure that when, when you know, scores of children come to a center, especially the ones living in far off areas, those who will be coming to cities, they, because we do not still have full scale of transportation in our cities on, right? So they will, how will they, they come to those centers? And while coming to those centers, how will they ensure that distance? While being in centers, Anand said that the number of students that will be in one room has been reduced. But is that enough to prevent spread is something we really do not know. So this is a very, very tricky situation. And to be, you know, because this was asked to Health Secretary Rajesh Bhushan in the last presser also. He said that since Supreme Court has given a decision on this, they are not going to comment on that, but they will share a standard operating procedures with the agencies which conduct NEET and the JEE examination. So the burden is going to be again on those states to you know, implement that SOP. That SOP is, I think, yet not out or at least it's not shared with the press or with the public. So that SOP is something which the central government is looking at you know, to find a way out. As we were discussing about CMs, I think, as, as, as a panel said, they are also moving Supreme Court to file the review. So from public health point of view, it's, it's really a very tricky situation. But uh, those students who want to take examination, they may also say that if event like, you know, some, some big religious events which we have had in the country so far, if they were allowed, then why couldn't one day examination be? 
so there there still the jury is still out but as as a health journalist i would say we have really a lot at stake from 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 the health perspective yes one year is something the loss of one year is something which we have to be concerned about but what are we going to to risk is also something which we really can't ignore so until and unless central government comes out with a very clear sop and we have you know state governments really really geared up to implement that sop we should be very very cautious about it now if these seven cms move supreme court and file a review petition that is something we should we should look forward to but in the given situation if if we do not have enough precautionary measures at place i really do not think that we should go ahead with exams so couple of things one is that we have a term for the event you are talking about is called doing a tablighi thanks yeah. to z and also if you ever wanted to if you're wondering what we no, should call no it's just not about it's just not about tablighi actually or now you can also say or you can say doing a dharti tod what what did modi dharti pakad bhumi pujan bhumi nahi nahi what the fuck earth breaking a bhumi pujan now you break the ground na. it's called ground breaking breaking the ground breaking ground breaking ha breaking ha, the ground. Breaking. ha to yeah ground breaking. Yeah. yeah so i or you can call it a what do you bhumi pujan event but but by the way when it comes to tablighi is the courts have said that this was a vicious media trial and uh, there's no proof in fact that. i was coming to that so if the tablighi was super spreaders then clearly the muslim gene carries it because the whole ramjan movie thing was with riding each other's shoulders and jumping i haven't seen any the such data telling us whether corona guys, rave parties or corona rave parties at ramjan movie have what what is the data on that I mean, you saw the videos right uh, banjot i mean oh, ha, yeah. ha, have done that how, how is that i mean is anyone tracking the data of i mean because the whole thing of the central government and i mean i know for a fact several chief ministers uh, no one wanted to come on record of many administrators in fact i've spoken to some is officers around the country who said that this whole thing of contact tracing we are wasting so much of resources on it you know from sdm levels to our level ki kisko kahan hua it doesn't matter now because it's bloody everywhere so whether if we would just use this administrative bandwidth for something else we may be more productive now if we are doing it has there been any tracing of just like there was tracing of the people who attended the tablighi event has there been any tracing of the people who attended the ramjan movie event especially since the head priest was found to be positive uh, banjot is there any data on that that how super spreaders have these events been so there are two things one first i'll talk about these these data and the you know these these events there has really not been any tracking a we do not even know that those who those, all those who attended these events whether this was ayodhya or whether that was that you know that puja in odisha whether all of them were even tested right so if all of them were not even tested so we really do not know who got infected and who did not we have the head priest of ayodhya being infected because he was tested so that is one and contact tracing as you are talking about it's almost an exercise i won't say in complete futility but it's it's not useful also at this moment the reason being of course indian government doesn't you know accept it but we are in community transmission we, yes. we have been in community transmission for so very long now that people even don't discuss this term now it's it's a given that we are in community transmission so when you have reached that stage when you are you know having more than 70000 cases a day contact tracing really does not help you because it's it's a tedious exercise right if i am infected then you may have to trace back say 70 or 100 people and if 70000 people are coming you know if 70000 people are positive every day how on earth will you do contact tracing 
Yeah. And our contract tracing exercise, which which is being largely you know decided by something called IDSP, Integrated Disease Surveillance Project, that has not been in very good shape for years. Contact tracing is something which we don't do just for COVID, which it, we do it for many other infectious diseases. It's a very scientific and a very tedious exercise for which you have to constantly train your human resources. I was talking to a bureaucrat in Delhi, and and he was saying that you know. they should just make it community transmission it says the amount of paperwork i deal with is suppose ek to he says i'm not at work for 8 hours a day i'm at work at 10 12 hours a day out of which 6 to 7 hours i am just doing this futile exercise of trying to figure out the logistics of contact tracing kon data apna kahan bhej raha hai kon type plate kar raha hai and is data ka ho kya raha hai kuch nahi so what exactly is the problem in accepting that there is community transmission you know if you look at if you look at the countries around the world and if you look at that who reports which now come out on a weekly basis and earlier they used to come out on a daily basis india is the only country in the entire world which has so many cases i mean you know in millions now and still does not report community transmission <laughs> we have countries we have a country like bhutan i think where cases are less than 1000 or maybe more than that a bit more than that but they say that they have community transmission just i'm talking about 1000 cases 1000 cases right and they report community transmission we are the only country on this entire planet which have so many cases and yet we don't accept community transmission so it's it's foolhardy i mean doctors accept it everybody accepts it even the bureaucrats accept it right it's just that in the press conference the moment you utter this word community transmission they get so angry <laughs> at the point of closing the press conference <laughs> right so it's it's just in their head that they don't want to say i mean we aims director dr guleria said it in an interview that you know we are in community transmission in certain areas about 2 months ago yeah. we have associations of doctors of epidemiologists saying we are in community transmission more than 2 3 months ago so contact tracing is really not going to fetch us much at this point the the only thing that which can fetch us anything is testing and screening people right maybe isolating sorry again but why exactly what is the problem in accepting it why are being why are they being so foolhardy they're being I mean, obtuse is, but like why what but i mean why, maybe just why ego why is the car being obtuse it's just say sorry i mean does it have any political no say sorry motives no say sorry i'm <laughs> sorry but there's no sense to it i'm sorry bolo prashanti bola fir se bolo but that's really bizarre i mean <laughs> I, i just think because मोदी जी मस्ट सेड हम नहीं करेंगे तब नहीं हो सकता ना बट आई जस्ट नहीं करेंगे तो नहीं करेंगे इट इज दैट सिंपल इट इज दैट सिंपल लोगों ने पूछना भी छोड़ दिया है so banjot other than this like what you are saying is pretty much a useless exercise now what else are they doing to tackle this now because i mean the sense one gets from reading all the reports and listening to all these people is that they're pretty much doing nothing because obviously the cases are going up every day and there's a record every day so what exactly is being done to tackle this or have they just let it be see the virus has a cycle right uh, it will the, the curve will go up it will reach a peak and then you know if the cases will start receding so at the moment we are waiting for the curve to go down that's it okay we are doing nothing else we are just waiting for the curve to go down in the meanwhile hum hath mein hath rakhe to nahi baithenge so we are doing testing and you know we we are we are treating people in the hospitals doctors are doing their and wo wo wait ke is not is not that bad is not that bad i mean matlab kai states aap abhi hoke aaye hain the people are working i mean the doctors are and obviously i mean they don't have a choice <laughs> so, somebody so goes to the doctor the no. tests are happening tests are happening 
and isolation is also happening and states like i mean i i can speak about uttarakhand because i travel to uttarakhand they are extremely strict i mean I, if you once you hit the border the first checking okay and then after that okay there is a multiple checkings uh, there is a tier of checking i mean you have police you have the uh, magistrate involved in it so in case the police people you can bribe the police people to enter that state there's another jurisdiction there's another okay got it so 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 if you reach so there are about five police post so after uh, after three police post you have to go to the magistrate if you don't get magistrate thing done you had it if i if i may come in here you know uh, sure. people from here from down to earth we traveled to different states recently like i had gone to mumbai to cover dharavi i was in dharavi for 7 days few of my colleagues went to uttarakhand few went to rajasthan we we traveled to different parts of country for our stories now in every every state and uh, in few states even in which every district these rules vary so once you enter you have to show in uttarakhand for example our colleagues have to show a covid negative report in yeah. at mumbai airport i had to show a ticket that i would return within 7 days and therefore they did not quarantine so these measures i am certainly not saying that they are not in place these measures are in place that is they one part yes the, the 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 second part is that authorities you know if you are moving without a mask you may be fined for that right so second part is authorities are still trying to impose these the social distancing what you call social distancing or physical distancing measures the main part is testing and treating and tracking people that is that is the main management part of now testing if you see how good or how bad is your testing is is reflected by the positivity as i said earlier in many states we have a positivity rate more than 10% so testing is still a gray area for us for how long it is going to remain gray is something i really can't see treatment part i mean if you have uh, anand with you i uh, was i also you know kept speaking to people when the virus or when the transmission was in really bad shape in bihar especially in patna i mean i used to get phone calls when people would really really scramble for beds doctors were scrambling for beds themselves forget about the patients so we every state has you know peak at different point in times in delhi you may feel relieved at the moment or in delhi you you were relieved when bihar was having its worst sure and also nationally um, i mean i have a, a friend who's been wanting to come to india uh, she doesn't have an indian passport or an oci card you can't come i mean you have to have a you have to have a medical practitioner's license i mean there are mm-hmm. four or five categories you just can't come on a tourist visa or any other uh, even the business visa is not difficult whereas getting into america is much easier right now and also traveling within america i mean because because i have friends there they say like airports and everything normal like no one's wearing anything we're just getting on flights and getting off flights and maybe we wipe our hands and stuff but there's no major jaise india mein hai so so um on that note uh, banjot uh, uh, we let you go but first you have to give us some recommendation that you think would enrich the lives of our listeners you know what uh, it was it was a matter of i think perhaps luck that when we had the first case of covid in the world which was on de- december 31st just a couple of weeks before that netflix uh, you know released a documentary called pandemic so it was an eerie coincidence you could say just just a week just a couple of weeks before that hmm. so if you watch that documentary you will understand to begin with what is a pandemic all about we talk so much about pandemic i would really say one one could watch that that movie that doc, that documentary right thank you so much and uh, thank you for your reporting good luck and we look forward to more of your work thank you thank you
Okay. Thank Bye. you for all right, we shall move on to the Bihar floods that we've been promising our listeners for a long time, which is not getting much press, actually. Um, in fact, in the last few years, it got more press than it's got this year. So maybe Anand can tell us a bit about that. But before that, I had a few announcements. One is that we have a new NLC in our project. It's called Disastrous Consequences. Uh, not a year goes by where some part of India is hit by a natural disaster. The year 2020 has been no different. There have been floods, there have been cyclonic storms, there have been droughts, there have been wildfires. And lives are lost, homes are lost, lots of properties lost, forests and farmlands are lost. But how have these disasters affected our ecology and environment? And what is making them happen? We want to do a you know proper deep dive report on it. So that is our new NLC in our project. We just, I think, launched it yesterday or something. We've already got, I think, about five and a half, six thousand rupees on that. So do contribute to that project. We're going to be deploying two reporters to work, maybe so 15, 20 days just focused on yeah, this report. report from the two states, Assam and uh, West Bengal. Assam and West Bengal will focus the ground reports there. Yes. And of course, we'll get data from other parts of the country as well. Hmm. But the ground reporting is going to be predominantly from Assam and West Bengal because they have uh, been ravaged by various natural disasters. So do contribute to Nelson Upstock. This is an important story to do. So before we go on to Anand with Bihar update, this is an email from Himanshu Nivasarkar, who's a subscriber. Thank you, Himanshu, for your subscription and support. DNL team, the caravan reporter story was one of the key discussion points during Hafta 289. While secular values were never the strength of BJP, Modi government 2.0 has taken off the fig leaf of balance that was attempted in the beginning by earlier BJP governments. The boundary of acceptable civil behavior has been pushed in the last seven years so much that even a pandemic took an Islamic overtone. It is truly difficult time for the Muslim liberal that believes in secular principles of the Indian constitution. In Hafta 289, the discussion on caravan report was followed by a discussion on Bangalore riot incident and that discussion lays bare the convenient positions that many liberals take which lead the right wing to accuse them of being biased. Note how the cast of the victim suddenly became irrelevant and was mentioned only once or twice during the entire discussion. Had this been a Hindu mob, the entire Hafta discussion would have centered around caste. There are times when caste is a relevant angle and that's not always the case like it wasn't relevant in the Bangalore case. And a truly unbiased analysis of past one year of Haftar discussions would also highlight multiple other times when caste and religion was emphasized but was not dismissed by other panelists as being irrelevant. That, in some sense, is the outcome of a Haftar panel which comprises largely of upper caste Hindus. One more reason why diversity is necessary. Haftar has been had multiple discussions on Delhi riots. Not once do I recall any of the panelists feeling the need to emphasize on peaceful origins of Hindu religion or talk about how Bhagwan Ram was a symbol of peace. That, in my view, would be irrelevant and frankly dishonest. To claim that religion is peaceful and the violent acts of its followers are somehow an anomaly not true to any religion is frankly a convenient excuse. One that unfortunately Mehraj indulged in 289 Hafta and I expected the other panelists to call out that it was a humbug. The argument conveniently glossed over the fact that Islamic countries have a high share of violence and the worst record on minority rights, whether religion, gender or sexual orientation. To society that is increasingly disturbed by Islamophobia, the prejudiced and often unjust behavior of large segments of its followers should be a matter of equal, if not bigger concern, that even the last secular Islamic majority countries are turning fundamentalist should be a focal point of the discussion of liberals among any community. Religion is what its followers observe. To claim that the original concept is of peace is frankly disingenuous and needs to be called out. All religions have had their fair share of monopoly over violence at different points of time, lest anyone claim otherwise. To that extent, Abhinandan was an exception, I might say, true liberal. To the other Hafta panelists, my advice, please don't try to monkey balance, call a spade a spade on gender, caste or religion. Himanshu. 
Mehraj, you want to react to that before we move yes, on? Yes, I would respectfully like to disagree because this, I mean, this idea that most of the violence in the world is motivated by religion comes from headlines, not from actual data or understanding of history. In the last 200, 300 years, the bulk of the violence in the world is rooted in nationalism. Both the world wars, and when he says that, like uh, Muslim countries especially have had the most. Violent record of recent years. He says uh, in terms uh, dismal, of treating minorities. Dismal record on human rights, whether it is homosexuals or basically minorities. But in terms of treating their minorities, their right? Minority. And yeah, if no, no. you see, these are the same countries that have have been at war for the most of like since at least the last Great War. These are the countries that have faced col- colonialism. These are the countries that have been constantly at war. So these are war ravaged countries, and that war was is not religious. those wars have been nationalistic in this country or economic or economic obviously because i mean they're tied together so this idea that all this re- violence we see in the world is motivated by religion i'm afraid to say is humbug it is not there is obviously because we are complicated human beings our societies are complicated there is always a religious angle economic angle social angle but the majority of the violence the basic reason for it is nationalism no doubt but what i do agree with the the writer on is that the the which is the piece that i had written the record of islamic countries on sticking to the fundamentals like you know which is a bit like the fundamentals of let's say christianity you know thou shall not work on sabbath sunday jo bhi hota hai now no one is going to you know take out a morcha that if you start work on sunday most christian you know they work on sunday ki bhai why are you working bible says not to but sticking to the fundamentals is unique to islamic countries which are predominantly islamic in the sense of you know if you even take i had taken the case uh, i think it's Indo- indonesia there was one island that was insisting that the sharia should take over and not the indonesian constitution and they gave in to that like while everybody is moving away from religion this is one was moving towards so while i agree with you that it's complicated and the economic reasons and there are you know several other reasons as well but the tendency of the fundamentalists being able to dictate governance in islamic countries is more powerful at least so far i don't know let's see where india goes now considering you know modi ji is usually with saffron clatby but so far the tendency of religious fundamentalists to be able to dictate governance in islamic countries is more than any other country true and that has been the case for the last 60 70 years since the war as like i said and that's because if you see all these countries like you see iran you see saudi arabia you see the gulf countries they're all they're not democracies none right. of them that is the fundamental problem and why are they not democracies because there have been wars iran was a democracy until 1953 until musaddiq was thrown over iraq used to be a secular democracy until the americans came lebanon jordan all of those countries until they until the war started until uh, the so we're saying there has been set, no set, so there, there is a religious aspect indeed obviously but there is this background also but i think this and in a democratic country you have have those avenues to reform What are you saying? The evolution happens organically, as opposed to Shah of Iran becoming, you know, or, exactly. or a dictator being put for economic reasons, and then in, the back backlash of that is an Ayatollah Khomeini. In Saudi Arabia, for example, one of the world's richest countries, you have one person basically even killing his family members hmm. without any protest or anything. Why? That wouldn't happen even in a country which is like as doomed as India right now. You will you still protest. Sure. You can do something because you have that avenue of. democratic so saying that so to say that because this uh, monarchy does this it means that whole society is violent because of religion is like a really simplistic take sir no, no what i'm trying to say if if we had discussed this in uh, the background of north east i mean mm-hmm. this background that you are discussing is not relevant to 
نارث ایسٹ وائلنس context is everything so i'd be surprised himanshu if we have actually given the cast angle but if you could give specific instances we could talk about that i mean in terms of crime at least i think we would be careful to point out the reason or the motivations of a crime sure and not paint something as a caste crime when it isn't so anand if you could come in now just tell us uh, how you been and uh, what is the situation of the flood because i remember last week we did see some discussion on it and they it got some new space but this week it has completely vanished is the situation not that bad or is is i mean if you could just tell us about that then we'll talk about the forthcoming election the situation uh, is stagnant it has not worsened so but it is stagnant the positive development is that for last 3 4 days new areas have not been inundated so that is the only positive i see uh, but uh, the interest uh, the sporadic interest that uh, national media and uh, some sections of even international media had shown this year is also surprising because besides a few numbers here and there every year the same situation is there so i don't think it's uh, something very different apart from that the pandemic uh, situation was there and and the polls are more likely scheduled in november as far as ishi guidelines and speculation around it is there but uh, if you just uh, shuffle a bit of numbers here and there i don't think it, there is very different from what has been happening in this uh, part of the year for decades but the coverage on floods at least in assam Uh, has improved over the last i'd say uh, you know since news laundry started from 2012 when there used to be hardly any coverage now assam and bengal flooding does get some coverage again it is often not as much as it should be and other you know not very relevant stories make headlines but it has improved i don't see that improvement in bihar is it because bihar is neither mm. northeast because you know that whole thing northeast is ignored so we must give northeast attention now assam comes in the north east so it gets attention now bihar bichara na apna na paraya na saga na waha to it's stuck in the middle time, i mean be- time magazine, magazine uh, i think had a cover story on the is officer in bihar mm. who made maximum out of uh, yes, you know, yes which is kind of weird <laughs> because floods. some of the most prominent journalists in this country come from that region yeah exactly some they come from bihar, bihar so yeah, and yeah, mayali lobby is quite strong a, in general I mean, for the longest time and, and there's some truth to it Kerala and Bengal get disproportionate coverage, and that's because a lot of editors and yes, everybody comes uh, from Bengali there. Yes, Bengali or yeah. Malayali. That's true. The Bengal. Uh, so why is that? And what would the numbers be of people affected, impacted? Anand, do you have some sort of a rough idea? Just something uh, to which uh, Raman sir said that uh, cover story in Time was uh, ri- written by the then South Asia correspondent of Time, Arvind Adiga, who won a Booker for White Tiger, and that. Uh, 
a story that glorification of the officer ultimately proved false because he was accused of the flood scam so we can say arvind did a very sorry story so what was his story if you could just tell us in three words for those of us who haven't read it 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 was matlab he was nominated as one of the asian time newsmakers of the year and he did commendable work in flood relief but later on there was a huge flood scam of which uh, that the same was officer the was uh, uh, accused of being the kingpin he has passed away now he was jailed and he died of pancreatic cancer i see anyway now moving to uh, the national disaster management estimates say around 85 to 90 lakh people have been affected in 16 districts Uh, and uh, the number of casualties vary they are varying from 27 to 40 means deaths but that is also suspect some of the deaths which are not flood related are from sometimes also tagged with that it may be a bit higher or lower that can um, anyway what i am saying is that uh, there have been attempt uh, one interesting thing i find uh, in the light of the forthcoming polls is that uh, the government's record state government's record on flood relief or any for in response to any natural disaster is not a major factor in uh, electoral performance of a particular party apart from say to a degree the tsunami relief by odisha governments if you scrutinize the relation correlation between the state governments response to uh, natural disaster and its uh, performance in an election the same year if it is scheduled and that is not a very uh, say very strong relation people people have developed this that uh, if any other government would have been what would it have done so uh, this is the kind of uh, indifference that has come in in 2008 in past two three decades the the most ravaging floods were witnessed in bihar it was uh, even by bihar's standards it was a very it's it wrecked havoc i mean uh, the nepal barrage was broken and a lot of water came and villages and villages were swept away but uh, just two years later in those areas then nda government Uh, swept to power with record margin so you're saying there's no real correlation between flood relief flood uh, impact yes, and and the, now coming to elections while the bjp has unequivocally said that we will contest the election under the leadership of nitish kumar and he's the chief minister's face i saw an interview of chirag paswan who was saying that uh, you know it's not a given that he will be the chief minister candidate is it just negotiations for number of seats by the paswan camp Uh, or, or you know the party what's it called the lok janshakti lok party Janshak- lok janshakti party or is there any serious contender from the paswans or anybody else so is this just posturing before the election little irritants little irritants uh, the and some ego battles and of course uh, the fight for more elbow room, room in negotiations all can, can. the immediate irritant is that Bihar is one of the few states that is still has a legislative council so i think 22 seats were vacant and ljp wanted 
few of them but uh, the jdu put its foot down and uh, they didn't uh, allow ljp uh, members to be nominated even bjp was uh, conceding one seat to ljp but uh, jdu didn't allow that so that was the immediate Im- immediate irritant of which triggered uh, this uh, backlash from uh, chirag pashwan and he ma- he has made it an ego battle also there is a new scramble for dalit vote because uh, new leaders have emerged uh, like chirag pashwan there is a, uh, there is a, every party even the mainstream parties have a dalit morcha sanjay pashwan is in bjp and uh, to get its plan b ready the nda has uh, made peace with uh, the ex chief minister Jitan Ramwanji, who was a JDU leader but had broken away and formed his own party, Hindutana Awami League. Now he is most likely back in the NDA camp. So they are keeping the plan B ready. If Chirag Paswan ditches NDA, then for Dalit votes, they would uh, depend on HAM plus BJP itself has uh, hold on some section of Dalit vote. Now Dalit vote in Bihar is around 18% of the electorate and it is fairly divided because there are many subcasts within this Dalit votes which have their own leaders. Now Rambilash Pashwan's uh, LJP is equivalent to like Jatav leader Mayavati. She has hold over one section of Dalits, but not all. So similar is the position of uh, Mr. Paswan in Bihar. Right. So, uh, anyone want to weigh in on Bihar before we move on to the next? So, Anand, the floods have been happening for like the longest time now. What exactly is being done to like prevent the damage from happening every year? That's a good question. The Assam, the reason they said was that the topography of Assam is such you can't do anything. Like 50% yeah, of the state is a floodplain. Same is with Assam. So no, but that is the SM. Bihar, what is being sure done in that. Bihar? I mean, every year there are floods, people die, there's lost property to crops, everything. Has anything ever been done about it or what? And I'm sure uh, Bihar has a lot more flat area for people to move, right? Assam, there is no option, right? It's at the whole, st- I mean, a large chunk of the state is a floodplain. So you have to continue occupying that. Bihar, that's not the case, is it? See, whole of Bihar is not affected by floods. I mean, some parts of them, of the state is like uh, 16 districts most of these districts are in north bihar and uh, like udhi gandak bagmati river the districts around ganga like magadh region like patna gaya these these are rarely affected so what has been done bihar has a lot more a lot of state funds for embankment embankments in, in fact flood engineers irrigation department engineers flood control engineers are seen as very lucrative postings in bihar because of the lot of funds <laughs> being ch- channeled to that but bihar's floods are also very much dependent on the, the amount of water that uh, nepal controls means if it it is very manipulative with with its barrages the effect is more in bihar so you see if the effect of flood is severe in any year bihar politicians ganging up all across party lines to blame nepal or 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 even sometimes uh, 
they say that uh, adequate uh, central government, they shift the blame to central government that proper communication with Nepal was not there. But Gandak River, Kosi, Kosi is, uh, carries the sobriquet of the Saru, uh, Saru of uh, Bihar, Bihar because it is flooded almost every year. And this year also the Bagmati, uh, Koshi, Blantismo, so the uh, the Blantmore. Uh, so the state response has been to make dams, has been to have treaties with uh, Nepal, but uh, they don't seem to have worked out well, yes. While I understand in certain parts of the country, there is no option, like Assam, like if, if much of the state is a floodplain, you can't, there is no room to go anywhere else. But in places where if you live in an area which is struck by floods every year, why would you not move bag and baggage? So I think one element is the geographic and social mobility in India is so fucked because of lack of education, lack of opportunities that people would rather stay somewhere where at least they have eight months of a decent life, even if, you know, for three or four months, their lives are devastated. I mean, I think it's a huge commentary on the lack of social and economic and geographical mobility, which to me is the most accurate metric of opportunity. If there is opportunity, people will move. It's just selflessness. I mean, even during exactly. the migrant crisis, people just wanted to go home. They said, we'd rather die there because yeah. there's somebody to look so, after us at least. Which, which is a lack of opportunity. So anyway, so now uh, we shall move into the one issue that has dominated headlines. We are not going to touch Sushant. I mean, although we have seen some wild reporting this yeah. week. I mean, they've got to it, but let's not discuss it. Uh, we shall discuss the Bloomsbury book. So, Manisha, you can tell us the context. <laughs> wow. The context, which is now the Garuda book. What is the context? Because we have lots of mails regarding that and then we can just discuss that. The context bit. is simply that Bloomsbury uh, published a book on Delhi riots. They commissioned a book written by three authors. They didn't publish it. They promised did they, to. Did they commission it? I mean, the book was already yeah. published yes. and it then they kind of written. withdrew it. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it, was, it would have been published and nobody would have cared. Except the authors decided to hold a book launch and they decided to call Kapil Mishra for it. Kapil Mishra of the Goli Maro fame. Playing the politics. Also, you had uh, luminaries like uh, Vivek Agnihotri and Nupur invited for that launch. So that created a lot of public outrage and furor on social media. Bloomsbury was stacked and there were questions asked as to why uh, are they okay with their logo being used for such an event. And uh, the culmination of that was Bloomsbury said, Nah, we have to take book se. We were drawing it. The authors did not tell us that they were holding this launch and we decided this alleged book. The The statement was quite weird because for a publication that's published the book, they said that this was supposedly based on facts. I mean, what do you mean supposedly? You were editing the book or not? Right. So anyway, that happened. And then of course, there was a predictable left versus right. Ki and liberal these, mafia has won versus... Uh, and these even, writers have got a political background. Yeah, and they, they got had, a political background. They had also written a report for the Home Ministry. Yeah, of course. And the book is based on that. And you, can, based on that book, and you can actually read a review of the book if you don't want to read it. I hope you don't want to read it. It's by Ayush. She will tell you the salient features of what the book is all about. And finally, it was published by Garuda Prakashan, which is apparently starred by Sankrant Sanu. And to know his wonderful views, <laughs> you should look at his Twitter timeline. He's truly an intellectual of, you know, of, of international repute, worthy of the commentary that you should... You, you have to see his Twitter timeline to see Mr. Sankran Sanu. What is uh, he? And is he Garuda like has a... also published books by G.D. Bakshan Saraswati, I think. I mean, I mean it's just fine, but I'm just saying it's, it's interesting to go over his. So, this led to a lot of churning within the 
what people describe themselves as liberals or progressive how vague definitions are it's these mm. days of that this is even uh, anurag kashyap and uh, anubhav sinha said that this the answer to a book is a book this is a wrong thing we should not outrage about this this should not have been cancelled people even compared it to salman rushdie's satanic verse poor guy poor rushdie well one of the writers of the book compared this to charlie hebdo where 12 people were shot yeah. dead but clearly <laughs> it's it's the same obviously so this is the context in which this entire debate broke out so let me start raman sir what is your view on it what is your take on this whole thing any angle it may not just be the liberal conservative on the accuracy of the reportage on the book on the writers on the event i have no problems when it comes to the you know publishing of a book whether written by a rightist or a leftist or a liberal it doesn't matter at all mm. what really matters to me is using it for political reasons i mean you are running a false campaign i mean here the role of the publisher is very important so if he wants to if the publisher wants to publish a book must check its facts if the facts are wrong if it is a propaganda and it is being used for uh, you know to justify violence in uh, against one particular community then it is wrong that's my style so in okay. this particular case it was the book was a complete propaganda it was not the untold truth i mean the even the headline given to this the untold truth i mean so 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 you're legitimizing uh, you know uh and institutionalizing the violence against one particular community right jotik so about the whether it was freedom of speech and whether it was not i mean you have written a long article explaining why it wasn't that and as raman sir also said i mean it has to be facts so i won't go into that what i'll say is this what you pointed out about the churning within liberals why does it happen every time something like this happens because they have never bothered to define what free speech is in the first place they have always defined it according to their convenience it's always been a line in the sand whatever is convenient they'll go with that so that's the one problem because if you apply the now if you apply the same standards for example the book we are saying it shouldn't be published because it's not factual right every single day even the like leading newspapers publish fake news hmm. there was an article some time ago in indian express by a police officer who basically called for genocide in kashmir hmm. there was a article in print the other day which basically said whatever muslims are suffering in india is because they are to blame for that hmm. should they be banned as well then should hmm. they not be allowed to be published hmm. because you haven't defined what it is what hate speech is what free speech is what's allowed what's not allowed you have this confusion and why is that the case why haven't you defined it because always i mean you have to understand that free speech is a function of power hmm. amir shah saying muslims are termites is not free speech somebody challenging him saying you are wrong that is because amir shah has power he, he has the platform he can't say that that is often overlooked by the same category of people another problem with this this thing is that these ideals whether any kinds of freedom whether it's freedom of speech freedom of expression freedom to practice religion increasingly in the last like since the advent of what you would call neoliberalism last 40 50 years they haven't been tethered they haven't been rooted in values unless that happens and what is the value they should be tethered to the fundamental value is justice if that is not the case then all these and that brings ideals us mean the, mean absolutely that nothing that brings us further back what is justice because you know that i think needs to be re redefined and reexamined true very true but at least like in every civilization in every culture you have some understanding of that what is equality what is justice if you tether these value state they'll 
they'll always be that if they're not tethered to that they're tethered to your personal likes and dislikes you'll always have that confusion and again the organizing principle of our society these days everywhere in the world pretty much everywhere in the world is profit it's the profit motive and that's precisely why bloomsburg but he was publishing that book mm. that's why facebook the whole controversy about facebook was about so because that is all the organizing the principle all these ideals freedom of speech and everything it will be subservient to that right unless the your value organizing principle is say justice and equality then they become subservient to that and this whole i mean another interesting point is that all these people you named for example anurag kashyap anubhav sinha the so called liberals all of these people if you really look at them they are the people who will suffer no consequences from such hate speech mm. hmm. so when they are giving these sermons they know that it doesn't affect them that you can be certain that the same book will be used i mean it's already been used that fact finding report mm. we have done reporting You've on done it reporting it's on. being used to to put muslims in jail right like right now and you can be sure that two years three years down the line the same big book will be used to persecute more muslims these people won't have to suffer any consequences for that and this whole idea about market uh, like somebody said it was a marketplace of ideas you said one book another I book i thought we gave up on that phrase like 3 years ago who I says mean, that like is marketplace of ideas let's say anywhere i mean it's a yeah, great it's a idea if it is a very sanitized very neutral kind of a marketplace but what does a marketplace mean if for example you own a mall in that market i have a street cart raman sir is not even allowed in and worse you are the mall owner you not only make the rules of the business you also run the security for the marketplace mm. what kind of a marketplace also marketplace ideas is like that? college debates mein sunte hain logon ko bol i ke i to that's the most tired cliche I ever i met the police officials here so i am able to see it very clearly i'm not spelling it out right now but i'm seeing that they the police the the government is using this northeast violence to kill to strike fear among those who were protesting against ca mm. okay so they are making it as part of the conspiracy towards this violence so basically anything to do with ca becomes a part of this and, riot and also striking fear among the muslims that if next i mean that that you cannot hold such such protest uh, just no, so I, and and this is happening because uh, you will see it uh, you know very soon when delhi police a uh, special cell which is handling with just one fir which uh, revolves around conspiracy so whenever they come out they will come out with a charge sheet and you will see that this is the design extended i mean this book is very little in front of you know what is going to come out in future just the other day sharjil imam you remember that genius oh, yeah. scholar He's been he was arrested, arrested in so. january i think mm. for okay. sedition because he made a speech at one of the protests mm. this week Again. He was again arrested under UAPA oh. for his role, alleged role in Delhi riots, right. okay. yes. and he is supposed to have incited Delhi riots while he was in police custody in yeah. jail. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, the way this investigation, in fact, reading stories on it. Anand, you want to come in on this Bloomsbury book? Should they have gone ahead? Should they not have gone ahead? Is it an assault on freedom of speech? Where are you on this entire discussion? No, uh, there are two, three ways of looking at it. First is, uh, I would look it at. as a contract uh, between a private publisher and authors so if they approach the court so who is right means uh, that would be settled legally means uh, whether there was a breach of contract or not so that legal intricacies we don't know so if uh, the sanctity of contract is taken 
as their starting point, then it is uh, as a contract between two, three individuals and a private publishing house. Then first uh, thing to look at is the clauses, what were the project provisions. So that only a court of law can settle. And uh, I don't know whether they have approached court or not. Well, the authors have. Uh -huh. So if it goes to the litigation process, uh, that is the first thing to look at. So if that I said uh, in context of uh, Mr. Guha saying that uh, his column was censored. So that it is a matter. First of all, it is a matter of contract. A man contracted to write and what he was entitled to, what the newspaper was entitled to. So it, it is also a matter of contract. So first thing, second is you know, what the mileage he drew and what the mileage these authors drew are the same and that is profitable victimhood. So they will now play victims of something being suppressed or something, uh, or they being not given the opportunity to say something or do something. And I think uh, in uh, some corner of their heart, they would be very happy because it has given a publicity that they would not have got otherwise. So they are now flaunting that uh, so many copies of the book has been ordered on Amazon or whoever is selling anyway. So they have got the due mileage. Third is that people have stopped looking at, uh, say, events like riots or things as a students. Means people have assumptions, people have conclusions, but uh, understanding the phenomenon of communal rights has now been divorced divorced from the perspective of a student understand that a, that is a problem i had in the university so people like professors recommend third rate books third rate books which are even most revered books on production of communal violence in india are very partial accounts so they would always uh, take a perspective of a particular set of victims or other sector of victims so it is not what we students were there for and i, I had a bit of arguments with my teachers in, in delhi university about it and uh, what they were recommending were partial accounts because like on Bhagalpur riots, when I was a child and I witnessed it and I saw the accounts of my friends, they had a very different accounts and what the books we read were very, very partial. So that is a problem with uh, the narration of riots because a, a riot is a complex uh, event. It has many elements and we need to have the curiosity of a student to understand it and that it has to be re rediscovered even in these times manisha you're... so two things one um i personally have no issues with the publication of a propaganda i think in fact good propaganda can sometimes even be called high art and does achieve the status of high art great example is maybe iron rand's propaganda that every college students get you know, taken in by. So I think liberals dilute the discourse when they make this about how dare you publish propaganda. Propaganda has been published for a long time. I think the problem, central problem here was that this was a non-fiction book and every non-fiction book has to operate with a certain set of facts. You can be cherry picking those facts. You can be selective with those facts. Sometimes you whitewash those facts. Sometimes you're convenient with those facts, but you still have to operate with facts. 
This book is fact-free and it claims to be non-fiction on an event that happened, I mean, what, six months ago where we lost more than 50 people. So to publish a book which is not based on facts, call it non-fiction, have, have it riddled with misinformation. You know, I mean, you can read Ayush's review for the sort of, you know, claims it makes. That is a central problem and a publisher has to take uh, responsibility for when they publish something like this. I think Bloomsbury said that this is self-publishing. It's a new sort of a branding thing where basically anyone who has a book can publish. I don't know if there's money involved. I mean, I, I, I'd like to know if it's self-publishing. Have the authors paid Bloomsbury? Hmm. Or I mean, why is Bloomsbury doing this kherat for them? self-publish hmm. So you cannot disassociate yourself with it in the way the, that Bloomsbury was trying to do. And I think this is very much... Bloomsbury UK, for example, would not publish a you know, a book by Katie Hopkins saying that, you know... Violence uh, against the yeah. immigrants in Berlin is a good or, thing. Or, for example, in the US, they'll not uh, publish something on the George Floyd uh, protest that happened, painting it as, you know, a conspiracy by Jews. Hmm. This is something... This is not acceptable anywhere in any decent democracy. And you cannot ha have these guys come here and make concessions just because it's India. So I think the protests were have to be restricted to the fact that this is low on facts. It does not behove a publication that claims to have editorial standards to, you know, publish something like this. And stick to that. I don't have any problem with BJP leaders getting space, getting published. Swapandas has gotten a lot of books published. Arun Shori's got book published. Kanjan Gupta, Vivek whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Modi, anyone can publish mm. a book, whatever. I mean, that's a different genre altogether. Neither do I have a problem with propaganda. The problem here is simply a no, problem of facts a, on a real event. I have a problem with propaganda because propaganda is mostly fiction. Right. <laughs> so that's my problem. No, I mean, yeah. non-fiction can also you sometimes, are, if, no, you know, no, you can use certain set of facts to pu publish, push propaganda. Propaganda is mostly spreading falsehood. So, I mean, so, it's a little so more complicated mostly. than that, I'd Or it could be spinning... So yeah, I have a few emails regarding this. We have lots of emails regarding this. Okay, guys, I just have one announcement. You don't want to uh, give I, your No, I'll give my VT. Although I've written a piece last? on it. I have, I mean, all that I wanted to say is on my piece, I recommend you read that piece. What's it called? Bloomsbury Bends. Bloomsbury Bends, yes. So it's on the News Laundry website. You can check out my piece. I don't want to repeat that. We've got almost like 20 mails this time. Wow. So I'm going to make a very strict rule from here on. Your mail has to be less than 400 words for me to even read it out in any part of it. And while I've been a little lax on non-subscriber mails being read, while we love the non-subscribers as well, even though they pay absolutely nothing to keep us afloat, I will not read non-subscriber mails at all. I mean, not even like in parts. So from next week onwards, you can mail us at contact at News Laundry, share your feedback, your critique, your criticism, your inputs. Uh, but if you're not a subscriber and if you don't show up in the subscriber list, you know, uh, where that we tally uh, the mails that come in with, uh, I will not be able to read out email. And it has to be less than 400 words yeah. because since last night, getting almost 20 emails, some of which are 1,200 words, you can imagine, right? What, but what sometimes they're very well written, so send them anyway. But no, so that's we won't saying. be able to read so, them. So send them. Okay, we can read them and we can we sometimes can publish, publish them. them yeah. yeah, we can publish the ones that are very long. Maybe you can warn us right at the beginning yeah. that this is for <laughs> so for now. Publishing. And I mean, I, I won't be able to read out all the mails, but I'll read out the. Or you can nature. do a nut graph. That's very popular these days. What's a nut graph? It's basically if you article not read TLDR basically. You don't want to read the whole thing? This is my... Achha. I thought a nut graft is a bar diagram made by someone like you. <laughs> nut graft is in journalistic parlance. It's like the Achha. summary of the story. Ah, like that. Second, TLDR third version basically. So uh, Kinshuk says, Hi, I've been gone almost a month. But now uh, I'm so sorry. I was running a little low on cash. 
So he's back as a subscriber for a month. He says he cheated on us with Netflix. For that, I'm sorry, and I want you guys to know it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Now that you have taken care of that, let me bring up the topic of the recent outrage surrounding Bloomsbury's publishing of the Delhi Riot 2020. I was watching Shekhar Gupta's National Interest, Do Not Roll Your Eyes, Abhinandan, where he was basically giving out the history of ban cancel culture in our country and pointed out several books being the point of outrage of several communities, whether they were Muslim, Hindu, Christian, right wing politicians, or intellectuals, and even the left liberals. He went on to criticize the publishing industry in India and called it an incestuous bunch. <laughs> And he Clearly, called them wine and that. cheese parties. Yeah, and he says, and they indulge in a small cocoon of wine and cheese parties. Now, I completely couldn't brush off what he said in that episode about our ban culture and how it has been in existence since pre-independent society, whether left or right. My point of contention is: should a book which has not seen the light of day has not been read by most people, in spite of the fact that it has been authored by BJP sympathizers and right-wing intellectuals who have all the reason in the world to paint the events in Delhi riot in a completely different color as they already have in the past, be subjected to a ban? We have laws against hate speech. Well, actually, our laws it's against hate ban. speech are very vague. Also, Secondly, it's not a ban. There's no ban. It's not a ban. I will not lie. Even I was quite happy when I read about the news of Bloomsbury halting. But in retrospect, have we committed the mistake that liberals despise? Also, Mehraj mentioned one document where it was mentioned about RSS chief's involvement and his occasional and association with Nehru towards achieving the common goal of accession of Kashmir. Could he mention the name of the book or document uh, that he had? spoken about yes of course so the reference has been made by a lot of people but i think the original let me just get the reference so my maharaj just pull out the reference but uh, on freedom speech it's called show... uh, sorry it's called rashtriya swayamsevak sang national upsurge by mg chitkara that is the like the where the original appeared and it has been referenced by a lot of people since then so right so mg chitkara rss what rashtriya swayamsevak sang national upsurge that's by, the name of the book by chitkara so check that out that's where the original text appears but uh, about it's not a ban kinshuk so i have explained how it's not a ban if you read my piece um, you'll get your answer then this mail is from arshad he says this mail is regarding a mail you dis- received in the last hafta i apologize this is a long one arshad okay i won't read the whole thing a fellow subscriber mentioned the word secularism was not included in the original constitution however if he digs deep into the constituent assembly debate he will find the same panel had included article 14 of the constitution which states equality of every person under indian territory even an alien will get equal treatment against any law within the indian territory people forget the fact that the word secularism had a totally different meaning in the time it was taken from europe where the state will be totally cut off from any religion however the indian constitution and context was different because it was based on indian nationalism where any indian with all their culture and religion will have the same right almost all members of the assembly agreed on a secular state but only didn't add the word actually that's a very good point just how we define secular was very different and then you want to say that i beg to defer that its majority community which is the torch bearer of secularism there is not a single muslim leader who muslims of india have voted since independence muslims in india have always backed hindu community leaders whether it is pandit nehru mulayam singh lalu sharad pawar where the majority community which has time and again created leaders like yogi adityanath etc okay a uh, good point then arshad goes on to say rss bjp has created so much victimization under the majority community that they have that they see everything with an appeasement lens even having a meal under holi diwali iftar banner becomes an appeasement they can't think how a hindu or muslim can have an interreligious meal together even hajj houses are a necessity because each country has a fixed quota of pilgrims then he says kashmiri pandits are probably the only hindu community persecuted in india around 750 people were killed but if even now people talk about uh, their persecution they have an ultra solid edge they get reservations academic jobs etc 
However, if you compare their case with similar cases of riot victims, whether it is Moradabad in 1980, where 400 were killed, Nelly massacre in 1983, 2,000 were killed, Bivandi, where 250 were killed, Bhagalpur, where 1,000 were killed, Babri, where the Bombay many killed, and also the Delhi riot. That same narrative is not carried out, and the benefits aren't given. So it's time majority community realize they can't live in a bubble that we are so persecuted in this country, whereas it is them who have suppressed every caste, creed, religion, linguistic, ethnicity. That's different, Arshad. So Arshad, thank you for your mail. I uh, agree with you on the paribhasha of secularism, but it was included in our constitution some form or the other. And, you know, this whole narrative of Kashmiri, Pandit, Exodus, media did not cover it. A lot of people, and this is where, like Manisha was saying, this Sushant, Sushant Singh Rajput case being of case in point where you repeat a falsehood and it becomes the truth. Who says it wasn't covered? I mean, half the people who are mouthing this were not even around when the Kashmir exodus happened. They are, they've heard some, you know, ignorant people, you know, whether it is our leaders who are as ignorant as the Twitter folk. I have worked in Newstrack. The amount of coverage Newstrack did of the Kashmiri exodus. It was, but there were no channels. It was Doordarshan, Sarkari channel. Today, tell me how much coverage of Muslim riots has Doordarshan done. Abhe coverage hui hai yaar, mainne dekhe hai. Tum news track ki tapes nikal ke dekho, kitni coverage hui hai. Akhbaro mein hui hai. Lekin tumhe TV dekhne ki aadat hai, internet ki aadat hai. Tab internet nahi tha, TV nahi tha. Matlab TV tha, lekin channels nahi tha. Ab batao, ab kaise kya ki nahi hui coverage? I remember 1998-2000 and the Kashmiri Pandit refugees were here in Delhi. So I got so many stories done on these refugees. So I mean, have you ever heard... Till today, do you hear Sardar saying that our coverage didn't happen, coverage didn't happen, coverage didn't happen? There was no coverage. What was the coverage in the distance? There was no coverage in the distance. He won with a mammoth Rajiv Gandhi. Do you, do you see, although the Sardars are a fraction of the total population, because as much coverage could happen, it could happen, it could happen, it could happen. See how much news coverage Doordarshan gives to anything, depending on the government power, and see private agencies that existed at the time, how much coverage was there of the Kashmiri exodus? Just one point about this. I mean, I understand where he's coming from about like the number of people killed, but such events shouldn't, I mean, every death is a huge tragedy, but they shouldn't be only viewed through that prism. Like these many people were killed. And so this one is bigger than this one. Mm. That entire community was uprooted from their homeland. Right. They had inhabited that place for centuries mm. and overnight it was all gone. So, I mean, just saying that more people were killed somewhere else, that shouldn't be a metric of comparison. That's true, yeah. I have a subscriber. She doesn't want to be named. She's just written a long mail where she was aghast by... By Abhinandan. By Abhinandan. Okay, <laughs> probably she hasn't mentioned Obviously. me by name, but by the panel. So, no, it, she hasn't named me. On the discussion on period leave, she says that uh, the main reason is that in Hafta 289, it is appalling views presented on the subject of period leave and also maternity leave. By the way, as a correction in India, the maternity leave is six months and not three months. Mm. The law was amended sometime in 1718 to the extent from three months to six. The argument against extending the leave was similar to the ones being proposed against period leave. Yeah, She says, I don't have a very strict view of the same, but as someone who has seen friends suffer from debilitating pain and nausea during their periods, I do believe that it is something which companies and employees should have a conversation on. I'm sorry, but this argument is specious that it will deter employers from hiring women. It is clearly established by maternity leave policies of several European countries where maternity leave extends up to one year. Employers in India are slowly beginning to realize the importance and need to provide women. So fair enough. In fact, if I'm not wrong, we have a piece coming, coming up, up yes. by a subscriber very much like you. I'll just 
PB are your initials. You don't want to be named. So, ma'am, uh, we have a piece coming up on this. Thank you for pointing it out. I am rethinking my uh, utterances on this. And I shall do some Atma Chintan and come with a very clear view on this. It takes me a while to get clarity on views that I don't have first-hand experience on. So, maybe I need to think this through a little bit. Then this feedback is from Ali, who's a recent subscriber. I'm not a holder of any big title or high degree as your usual subscribers. So I apologize. Dude, don't worry. At least I'm not either. And that doesn't keep me from pillowing my gyan. I really enjoy TV nuisance in order to see what a debacle our current news media's stature in the name of journalism. I love Manisha for her satirical, comical and witty way of reporting. I enjoy Abhinandan regard to an L interview, which I haven't heard many give you much praise for. Yeah, you can watch Barkhadat. Though I'm sure there is a group of researchers who are responsible Reason. for you achieving it. Well, yes, I won't lie that I do uh, have some research handed over to me when I go to interviews, but I but do. A lot a, of it's just my talent, you know. A lot of the research I do myself. <laughs> I'm just saying. Unlike Manisha, who just, just lands up. In a broad. Though I did think uh, Barkha could have grilled a little. I could have grilled a little more. Sure. But I mean, yeah. the thing is that when I'm at Quorum, my demeanor and manner yeah. is different from when I'm in my studio. That's a. I mean, it is actually an event of someone else who I'm just happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but still, no, but it was I great think you fun. asked all the relevant But it was great questions. fun and I think one thing You asked that, all the relevant questions and it was very engaging. One thing that struck me though, I mean, we've all, we've critiqued Barkha quite a bit on this show and we have usually, but she's an immensely watchable person. Yeah. You know, she's, and she gets TV. While making sense. Like Arnab cannot be watchable when he makes sense. He's a bore. He's a giant bore if mm. you, if he ever chooses to make sense. She's, some, one of the only few anchors who can hold your attention while talking yes. sense. It's a big loss to TV. So, um, Ali goes on to say nice things about us. Thank you for all that. And he says, I would like to bring your attention to the issue of expat unemployment as well. We all know the current situation of unemployment within the country, but this is only the tip of the iceberg considering the fact that even in other countries, Indian citizens have faced layoffs and are being set back due to the pandemic. And then he's given three links. I would request you to look at this matter and tell us how to really impact this country. In any case, you guys are awesome. I hope you guys keep doing what you're doing. Remain in news platform. Well, thanks, Ali. You have said some nice things about having memorized our slogan that when the public pays, the public is served. Actually, Ali, I'll tell you, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a banker in Singapore. Most of my friends from school are all in the financial industry. Uh, some are on Wall Street and some are in banking in Singapore, which is one of the hubs of private banking, which is a... What is the thing when you use a polite word for something that you don't want to use a rude word for? Euphemism, yes. Euphemism. So private bank is euphemism for ill-gotten wealth being parked. <laughs> so he was telling me that basically there's going to be a real... Sh I mean, uh, in January is where at least he and his analysts and his team are looking at the real bloodbath. Because in January, you know, most of the Western countries, also Singapore, the governments are giving them money to make sure no one is fired. But that will probably come to an end in maybe November, December, Jan. He says then, I mean, he's going to get rid of a large chunk of his team. And all these people are very highly paid people. And he says, so the money we get, which is just government money actually, because we don't have that much business, is going to the stock market, which is why the world over, stock markets are zooming up while the economy is going down, which makes no sense. And the RBI governor said that there is a disconnect between the stock market and the economy. Because though that stimulus package the US announced, one big reason is when they announced that, much of that money went to Wall Street. Exactly. Now that will probably end in December and he says that's when the you know bloodbath will begin. So we're going to wind up today. I have a lot of emails. Bhanu, your mail is there. Asif, your mail is there. And I'm going to read all these mails next time. Ifat, your mail is there. Dave, your mail is there. Prakash, Ayer, your mail is there. But because of the amount of mails I've got, I'm going to have to figure out a more efficient way of reading these mails. 
So from next week, I'm again repeating. If your mail is over 400 words, we may publish it. If it is, you know, if I it goes through our editorial filters. But otherwise, for me to read out bits of it, it has to be under 400 words. Like I said, we're getting almost 20, 25 mails a week. We will not read mails by non-subscribers. But yet, I do want to know what you guys think. I want you guys to take us off on or disagree with us. or correct us on various issues i find that hugely valuable so please don't discontinue the only reason i'm putting this in places so that we can include more mails you know when there were like 5 7 8 mails coming i could you know go read 600 700 word mails but now with 20 mails coming i'd like to include as many as possible but we can be strict about not allowing uh, non subscribers yeah, because be that i think about. i think i mean too bad too bad you got to pay if you want to be heard no sorry what kind of a slogan is that manisha is such a fake after giving all this gyan about justice and all you got to be paid the, the mall doesn't pay. have this mall has you this mall doesn't this person ye has to mehrad ne bola maine thoda to you were nodding your head in agreement i'm a free marketer <laughs> you, you know my but anyway uh, so contact at newslaundry.com i repeat contact at newslaundry share your emails but please stick to the rules i said and all the subscribers whose mails haven't got read this time i'm going to mention them in the next time and we will take out each of your criticism and there have been several criticisms of mehraj on on his at least the perceived kind of whitewashing uh, the muslim aggression while oh. focusing on the hindu aggression wow. there have been several pointing out my uh, somewhat lack stake on gender issues so we we shall we Except shall this i'm is... the only perfect being on this show okay fine no, surrounded by imperfections be... this... uh, uh, all pahadis like you and kangana ranawa so you have other varieties also <laughs> yeah yeah uttarakhandi pahadis are very different from himachali pahadis please don't compare us you're exactly the same no uttarakhandi pahadis are weird higher i was reading kangana ranawa today and i said oh, manisha has changed the dp i said oh it's kangana ranawa it's not manisha so uh, we're on uh, taller mountains so uh, i uh, also in <laughs> greater himalaya greater himalaya greater greater Also this week Delhi saw some amazing weather we have had the most good air days since 2015 we've had five or six good air days which meant that all the creatures bright and small young and beautiful and not so beautiful were seen in fact a really beautiful creature was seen strutting its stuff at seven racecourse road and next to it there was a more dancing also a peacock <laughs> uh, the, the 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 more beautiful creature was modi uh, but we have a song dedication to that I'm sure you guys have seen the video that he put out. Beautiful. Uh, uh, it's extremely humid right now. But अरे सर आज सुबह क्या वेदर था हिल स्टेशन वाली फील आ गई थी. But अभी recommendations दो हम दो घंटे से बात कर रहे हैं. बताओ. Starting off with Raman sir recommendations sir. Uh, I would uh, recommend our NL Sena story about how people you know did not get their houses uh, after spending lakhs of rupees is really I mean uh, you know. a telling story you know about a country where people can just get these builders can just get away hmm. with you know such uh, impunity yes so, we have a new nl sena project up do check it out so this is a story by shweta desai and ritika jain so i'll recommend that right i recently read uh, yogendra yadav's new book uh, making sense of indian de- democracy it is uh, um, a collection of his uh, essays uh, written over last two three decades and the last one having been written in 2017 it's a broad sweep of topics themes but he has tried to classify among different themes 
I think he has a theoretical perspective on different developments in Indian politics, uh, democratic dynamics, uh, the responses, the concerns, as well as the sheer uh, rhythm of it. And uh, of course, he comes with his own biases, but for its uh, sheer scholarship and uh, the data and uh, the insights that he has. It is a good and enriching read. Uh, so it's published by Permanent Black, which is a, which is an imprint of Orient Black Swan. So the book is uh, Making Sense of Indian Democracy, Yoga and Riyadh. Second uh, is uh, I, uh, Pavan K. Verma's uh, translation of uh, selected parts of Ram Charitamanas. He has written an ode to Lord Ram. So he has, uh, I was keen to see how the beautiful poetics of Ram, Chandra, uh, Ram Charitamanas comes to English. And uh, he has done a good job of translating oh. because I had read it in original and uh, the English translation has gone well. And uh, by the way, I also learned uh, that uh, uh, the great novelist Vikram Seth is also working on a project of translating Ramcharitmanas. Uh, he's a very good translator also because mm. he has done brilliant translations of uh, Chinese literature. So That'll be uh, something to wait for. To that also. Third is, uh, my last recommendation is a piece uh, and that appeared two, three weeks ago in the Hindu. It was written by a sociologist Dipankar Gupta and he, he has uh, focused on the non-economic factors of migration, the sentimental pullback and the anxieties that a family or a ruler household or the home pulls back migrants and that may not be always explained by economic factors. And he has said that uh, there is not a laboratory and with time data would emerge. And uh, he has cited previous studies and even the... Con I was keen that this, it came in distress journalism that we saw in wake of pandemic, but uh, it didn't because it's an abstract idea, but a very real one at the same time, because that is what I gathered in my limited interactions with people who returned back, that economic factors were only partly responsible. There were other factors also. So I think it's a very good piece and very valid observations. I wish somebody else made it when the migration was in full swing. These are the three recommendations, yes. Thank you, Miraj. I'll recommend three pieces which I think should be read together. All three of them in different contexts with different analytical angles. Basically try to explain why Hindutva has taken over the Indian polity and society. Two of the pieces are pretty recent, were written like last week or the week before, and one is a little older. So one piece is uh, by Ijaz Ashraf in NewsClick. It's called What Yogindra Yadav and Pratabhanu Mehta Don't Get About Secularism. The second one is by Christoph Jeffrelot in Indian Express called Mandal Moment 30 Years On. And the third one, which is a bit older, uh, it was published in February in on the India Forum uh, by John Drees. It's called The Revolt of the Upper Caste. I will um, suggest your interview with Barkhadat. Okay, clearly as a nothing. weekend watch. Clearly, she has not read. She has spent her whole week watching Arnav, Rahul <laughs> Shiv Shankar. That's I'm gonna become she, super dumb, yeah. I need this. I need <laughs> to otherwise, get off nuisance. Otherwise, I'm I'm gonna have nothing to say. But 
even like in social conversations i have nothing to say anymore yeah i'm just constantly yeah. outraging and she's very sharp otherwise catch her recommending anything done by me i'm being dulling <laughs> i'm being dulled down by use laundry's Dumb job down. so you should recommend that no watch <laughs> yeah, why watch why will i ever do that so i have um, two recommendations i guess you, one is i would highly recommend my own piece because this whole bloomsbury it's just become such a confusing uh, this thing i've i've urge people to read it the other piece i highly recommend is in the conversation it's nba teams boycott playoff games in response to jacob blake police shooting it's a piece i think he's the editor who's written it on uh, you know those of you who've been following the violence in the us because this man was shot seven times in the back with three of his children in the suv by cops and they've had to postpone the nba playoffs because i think right now orlando magic refused to play one game and there are others and this piece talks about how the nba and the basketball teams have been at the forefront of actually taking on social issues and i think it's phenomenal that they can do this and it is so far from anything any indian team could ever do for social justice i think it's an important read it gives you some facts it also gives some perspective and the third thing i'd like to recommend is do watch all the speeches from uh, that this one son poor chap he's completely off trump's son speech to melania speech to mike pence speech the subah sir aate rehte hain wo cnn pe nikki heli also nikki uh, heli speech is okay but the some of the speeches basically they are saying anything they are just i think one or two speeches away from saying that if you don't vote for us zombies will rise out of the earth and they you will not be allowed to go to church you will not be allowed to breathe you will not be, i mean how can responsible leaders paint such a picture i mean i don't have a dog in the fight in america i mean i don't care but i mean i'm shocked at the level of discourse and this is I mean, similar to what I think we will be seeing here. We saw some hints of it. That if you don't vote for us, our daughters will take care of you. Some said that. Pakistan will not take care of you. They will not. 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 Your wives and daughters will not be safe. So I think just as a sociological exercise, watch the speeches and read these two pieces. But on the other side, there's also, I mean, in the same society, like you were saying, hmm. these players boycotting matches and hmm. stuff. in india that's not like you said not going to happen just like for several weeks there was a huge huge outrage about george floyd case not right. there in india i'm talking yeah. about couple of weeks ago in west bengal kuchbihar district a young muslim guy who was after dinner was sitting outside somewhere near a pond fishing hmm. bsf came hmm. his name was shani ur rahman they chased him away caught hold of him one a uh, bsf person allegedly put his knee on his neck hmm. exactly like happened in george floyd yeah. case and then the officer came and shot him from point blank range twice and you have like there have been a couple of reports that's about it just reports but no outrage right nothing so yeah so it's an interesting uh, sociological study and i will leave you with this song it is dedicated to the prime minister i hope he's listening uh, modi ji agar aap sun rahe hain ye gana aapke liye बट पता नहीं आप सुन रहे हैं कि नहीं क्योंकि आजकल आजकल फ्री है तो यू कैन मेक द मोस्ट ऑफ हफ्ता वी होप यू विल जॉइन अस नेक्स्ट हफ्ता अगेन एंड डू रिकमेंड हफ्ता वाइल यू कैन वाइल इट्स फ्री एंड एंजॉय द सॉन्ग सामने देखा जंगल में जंगल में मोर नाचा किसी ने ना देखा है All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.